Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second season of the History of Modern Greece, where we cover the subject of the fall of Constantinople to the modern day. I'm your host, Daniel Roberts, and I'm here with my father, George. Hi, my name's George. And our music is brought to you by Mark Youngerman. This is episode 44, The Bulgar Origin Story, Part 1. Hello everyone and welcome to the first origin story of Season 2. Two episodes ago, we talked about Empress Irene, and how her finance minister overthrew her, and how he went to war with the Bulgarians to the north, and managed to get his head turned into a drinking cup. Well, you might be asking yourself, who are the Bulgarians? Or maybe you're asking yourself, I've heard of Bulgaria, but I don't know anything about them. Or maybe yet, you are yelling out loud at the speaker, I know who the Bulgarians are, get on with the story of modern Greece. If you are one of the people who enjoy this topic, then I have really good news for you. One of the best history podcasts I've ever listened to covers the history of Bulgaria. I believe he's a real historian too, unlike myself and my father who are just hardcore history fans. His name is Eric Halsey and his podcast is called The Bulgarian History Podcast. He's very knowledgeable on the subject and has a high quality sound with excellent writing. I've attached a link to his podcast in the show notes below, and I highly recommend checking him out. A fun fact about the Bulgarians. According to this awesome documentary on YouTube called Origin of the Bulgarians, the Bulgarian people are 40% Thracian, 40% Greek, and 20% Slavic. Now this is very different from what two scholars from the 18th century wrote when they stated the Bulgarians were a Turkic people, originally from the Far East. Now that would mean the Bulgarians originated from the land of Mongolia and Siberia. However, the Bulgarians today do not look like Mongolians. The two Europeans who wrote these essays knew very little about the Bulgarian people, as Bulgaria was still part of the Ottoman Empire. So first, the Bulgarians were hidden behind the Ottoman Curtain. And only a few decades later, the USSR came into existence and gobbled up Bulgaria, locking them up behind the Iron Curtain. When scholars wrote about Bulgaria in the 19th century, the only existing work they had to go on was the incorrect information written the century before. So they repeated the story that Bulgarians were a Turkic people. It was only in the last several decades that the true origin of the Bulgars came to light. According to this new research, the Bulgarians came from the steppe lands north of Iran, specifically southern Tajikistan and northern Afghanistan on the eastern side of the Caspian Sea. The land was called Balhara. And apparently the name Balhara is an old Iranic, Indian, and Armenian word. And if you remember from Season 1, Episode 1, these people are all Indo-Europeans. It's kind of easy to see the similarities between the words Balharia and Bulgaria. The people from Bulgaria, or the people from Balharia, or Bulhara, 
Sounds shift all the time, and the H sound and G sounds are very close in the mouth. The only difference between those two sounds is the back of your tongue hits the top of your mouth. Ha, ga. Yeah, oh yeah, I played with that many times. Back to Balhara. According to this new working theory, the Bulgarians were near the old Persian province of Bactria, and even Alexander the Great brought his army right up to their doorstep. But the Greeks never got them under control. According to this documentary, Alexander married his soldiers and generals to Bactrian women. And these Bactrians were the ancestors to the modern-day Bulgarians. So if you think about it, the ancient Bulgarians are ancient Greeks. Hearing this shocked me, and I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but it does make a lot of sense. We do know that Alexander forces generals and soldiers to marry Persian wives in order to unify the two cultures into one. But we also know that all of Alexander's generals divorced their wives as soon as Alexander died. So who really knows? I guess the geneticists know. Either way, this story plays into the hands of the descendants of Alexander the Great coming back to their native land to take back the rightful home. This wouldn't be the first time one culture claimed historical background into land to justify seizing it. If you are going to invade a country you typically want to have some legal claim to justify it to your neighbors. I didn't steal this bike. My great-great-great-grandfather owned this bike, and I'm just taking it back. It rightfully belongs to me. So if the Bulgarians from Bulhara did not travel west to return to their ancestral home, then why go west at all? Well, just like everyone in our series, civilizations move, either because their populations grew too big and the new generation was forced to migrate a little west every generation, or perhaps there was a drought, forcing them to move to better pastures. Or perhaps they were forced out by an aggressive neighbor who moved into their land. When the Bulgars moved east, they came into contact with the ancient Armenians, who lived in eastern Anatolia. What we know as the country Armenia today is only a shadow of the nation it once was. Ancient Armenia covered all of eastern Turkey, most of Syria, Lebanon, Georgia, Azerbaijan, and northern Iraq and Iran. When the Bulgarians encountered the Armenians, the chroniclers wrote about them. These are the words of the Armenian chronicler. The Bulgarians are our only neighboring folk that has stone towns. At this point, the Bulgarians were tucked between the Caspian Sea and the Black Sea, where modern-day Georgia and Armenia are located. But they migrated north, circling around the Sea of Azov to northern Crimea. This is a general area where the Proto-Indo-Europeans originated at the very beginning of our story. Eventually, the Bulgarians circled around the north end of the Black Sea and came down to what is known today as Bulgaria or what was once known as Thrace. There are many documentaries, or shall I say, YouTube videos, that state the Bulgarians are the descendants of the Thracians. This is a very interesting theory, and explains the sudden disappearance of the Thracian people from the world stage. If this is true, it also gives the Bulgarian people claim to a lot of lands they don't currently hold. This is probably why a lot of imperial powers fought this idea and went with the Turkic origin theory. 
One important thing to realize is these countries in Eastern Europe are very new. Even modern Greece as a nation is very young. And this is because they were all part of an empire. And when that empire collapsed, new countries replaced them. Now many arguments for where the borders should be drawn up were based on the ethnic communities, but also the claim these ethnicities had over the land. If they existed in ancient literature before the dawning of the Roman Empire, then they would have a much stronger argument to have a larger border. If the people drawing these maps in the 19th century knew the Bulgarians were mostly Thracian, then their borders would cut into northern Greece and Turkey. So I'm not sure if you've been following this closely or not, but we've now covered several different possible origins of the Proto-Bulgarians. Some say they're Turkic, from northeastern Asia. Others say they're Slavic, who came down into Europe with the rest of the Slavs. And now we have a theory that says they are Indo-Iranic people from Balhara and Bactria, and the children of Alexander the Great. And a fourth theory that suggests the Bulgarians are actually the Thracians who have been there all along. It's very confusing, I know. And it is also possible that all of these theories are correct, and the Bulgarians are an amalgamation of all these different people. After all, according to geneticists, the Bulgarian people are 40% Thracian, 40% Greek, and 20% Slavic. Anyways, back to the narrative. The Bulgars lived in northern Thrace and beyond the Roman borders. These Bulgars even fought alongside the Romans against the Goths during the Germanic invasions. Yet the Bulgars were a divided people and were absorbed into the great Hunnic cognate that dominated the Steplands. If you remember our episode from last season that talked about Attila the Hun, you will remember that the Huns once had an empire so large it stretched across the lands north of the Roman Empire and even contributed to the collapse of the Western Roman Empire. The Bulgars often signed deals with the Eastern Roman Empire and sometimes settled their families inside of the border on the frontier with the promise to defend the Roman soldiers from further invaders. At this point in the 6th century AD, we have written confirmation of the Bulgars interacting with the Byzantine emperors. A Bulgar Khan named Kubrat went and lived in Constantinople. Before we talk about Khan Kubrat living in the capital of the Roman Empire, we'll explain exactly what a Khan is. Most people know of the infamous Genghis Khan of the Great Mongolian Horde. To be honest, when I first learned about Genghis Khan, I thought Khan was his last name, but Khan was a title. The Khan was a leader of all the tribes. If a chief ruled over his tribe and all the tribes were united, the Khan was the leader of the chiefs. So when you think of the Bulgar Khan going to Constantinople, picture a Bulgar king. It's not quite the same, but very similar. So Khan Kubrat traveled to Constantinople. But he wasn't a full-grown adult walking into the court of the emperor. He was a child. He was sent there and raised in the imperial court where he learned management skills. He was living in the imperial palace under Emperor Heraclius. For 25 years, Kubrat lived in the palace. His wife became friends with Martina, the wife of Heraclius. 
His children played with the other kids in the imperial palace. While he was living in the palace at Constantinople, Kubrat was baptized under the Greek Orthodox ceremony. When he left Constantinople, he left to go north to his homeland and later declared an independent Bulgar state. According to this documentary, Origins of the Bulgarians, this state was commissioned by the Byzantine emperors and was intended to create a stable and Roman-friendly neighbor that occupied the Eurasian steppe, north of the Danube. That stretched as far as the Caspian Sea. This great Bulgaria didn't last. The Khazars, another nomadic steppe tribe, came riding in and quickly defeated the Bulgars. This divided the Bulgars once again, leaving several tribes of Bulgarians cut off in the east and the western Bulgarians seeking refuge in the mountains near the Danube River. This also ended the Roman dream of a friendly neighbor in the Eurasian steppe that could shield them from violent hordes. A Little Bit de Todo is a podcast about a little bit of everything for curious minds of all ages. I'm Christina, and you can tune in every weekday to learn about things like Cinco de Mayo, Chihuahuas, and volcanoes in Latin America. Episodes are bite-sized, 10 minutes long or less, and always Latin American related. Subscribe and follow A Little Bit de Todo podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Khan Kubrat was the greatest Khan of proto-Bulgaria. But the war with the Khazars shattered his empire. The Bulgarian tribes were in trouble, and their tribes were being conquered one by one. The Turkic Khazars were picking apart the Bulgars and subjugating their people. Khan Kubrat gathered his five sons in his court and gave them his final instruction. He told his oldest son, Batbayan, that he was going to have the greatest burden of all the sons. He was to remain in Great Bulgaria and fight against the Khazars, giving his younger brothers enough time to escape to new lands with their tribes. Batbayan's task was to kill as many of the Khazars as he could, even if that meant perishing with his men. The second eldest brother, Kotrog, took his tribes to the Volga regions, which is close to the Caspian Sea in modern-day Russia. There, Kotrog settled his people and formed the Volga-Bulgarian nation. The middle son, or third son, Aspura, took his tribes of Bulgars and headed for the plains south of the Danube. If you remember, the Danube was the northern border of the Eastern Roman Empire. The fourth son, Kuber, took his tribes up the Danube and settled in the old province of Pannonia. Now, Pannonia is located in the general area of modern-day Hungary and Serbia. Kuber was originally a vassal to the Avar Khaganate until he came across a camp of Byzantine and Bulgarian POWs. Kuber is said to have liberated the POWs and marched them down to Macedonia, where he settled his people. The fifth and youngest son, Alcek, led his tribes to the city of Ravenna in central Italy and was settled in the Duchy of Benevento. It is here that the Bulgars were referred to as Volgars. Play on word there. Volgar, Bulgar. <laughs> 
The more we look into it, the more we realize there could be an entire podcast series just describing the lives of Khan Kubrat and his five sons. But for the sake of this origin episode, we'll be following the third son, Aspera. After all, it is he who led the people across the Danube and into the territory of the Eastern Roman Empire. In the 670s CE, Aspera moved his tribes into the valley where the Danube River flows into the Black Sea. This land was also known as Wallachia, and Aspera and his men conquered it. Once they subdued this land, they focused their attention south of the Danube. This was a direct offense against the Byzantine Empire. Yet the Byzantines already knew they were coming, as messengers had informed the emperor that a great army had just conquered the kingdom north of the Danube. The Byzantine emperor had his hands full as the Arabs were busy conquering the world, but as soon as Aspera crossed the Danube, that put them on the doorstep of Constantinople. As soon as Emperor Constantine IV defeated the Arabs in battle, it bought him enough time to deal with the growing threat of the Bulgars in the north. In 680 CE, Constantine IV gathered the largest army he could, accompanied by the largest navy possible, and he sailed and marched them north. He was determined to remove the Bulgars from his northern borders for good. Aspera knew the Romans were coming, so he built a strong fortification in the swampy delta of the mouth of the Danube. The fort was built on a hill, and very steep moats were dug around the walls. This meant that any attacking army would be forced to slide down into the trench, then climb a very steep dirt hill, steep enough that it would require a ladder or a rope to climb up the other side only to face a steep wall at the top. Tens of thousands of Romans attacked this fort, and they slid into the trench, and even though they had ladders and hooks with ropes, and tried desperately to climb up the steep hill, thousands of Bulgar arrows rained down on them. And when Constantine realized there was no way across this defense, he called off the attack. But Constantine didn't give up. In the old days of the Roman Empire, they would just build a big wall around the fortress and starve out the enemy. But this situation was different. They didn't have the supplies needed to carry out a siege, and the limited supply carts that could run back and forth to the army were being harassed by Bulgarian cavalry. Constantine had a choice of either attacking again or retreating back to Constantinople. He wasn't about to abandon his campaign and return empty-handed, so he ordered his army attack the walls again, the very next day. However, Constantine didn't stay with his army. He retreated through the back of the camp and abandoned his men at the battle. We don't know why, although some have written that he suffered from gout, and other sources say he went to protect the supply lines. All the army saw was their emperor abandon them in battle. As the Romans attacked the walls again, and the arrows rained down on them again, they struggled to climb the steep walls only to fall back down, and witness many countless of their comrades die next to them. Morale started to fade. They saw this was a losing battle. They weren't making any gains, 
and the Bulgars were leaving piles of dead Romans at the bottom of the trench. And because the hill was so steep, any Roman who died trying to scale it would fall back and roll into the bottom of the trench. After a few days of assaulting these walls, the Roman soldiers would have to crawl over piles of corpses just to get to the base of the steep hill. It was suicide. And then word spread through the ranks that Emperor Constantine had abandoned them. Morale completely collapsed, and the Roman soldiers began to panic. Instead of retreating in an orderly fashion, they broke off and ran. And it was a scattered mess as Roman soldiers stumbled over each other and ran back through the swampy marshes, some of them getting their boots stuck in the mud and others getting trampled. Khan Aspera was on top of the fortress walls, witnessing the Byzantine retreat, looking down at the Roman army. All he saw were their backs. Many were dropping their shields and weapons to run faster. Aspera gave the order for his cavalry to circle out of the fortress and cut down the retreating Roman soldiers. It was a colossal defeat for Constantine and a brilliant accomplishment for Khan Aspera. In 681 CE, Constantine signed a peace treaty with the Bulgars, officially recognizing them as a state that settled south of the Danube. Khan Aspera had lived up to his father's aspiration and founded a new home for his Bulgarian tribesmen. Although Khan Aspera won a huge victory for his people and founded a new homeland, the Khazars were still a great threat on their border. After all, Aspera was only one of five brothers who fled the homeland of old great Bulgaria. Many Bulgarians were still out there, being subjugated by the Khazars. While he built the new civilization up from the ground, including large stone walls as fortifications and many stone-building cities, he also led campaigns north to fight off the encroaching Khazar hordes. For 20 years, Aspera ruled over his new empire, and from what we can gather from other sources, they had a very unique yet familiar culture. To the Byzantine Greeks, they might seem like barbarians from the great grass plains who worshipped strange pagan gods, but in reality they were quite civilized. Their calendar system, for example, probably seems strange, but that's because the Bulgars used a 12-year calendar system, with each year represented by a different animal. The Bulgar calendar was as follows. First, the mouse in Bulgar, Somar. Two, ox in Bulgar, it was Shegor. Three, uncertain, probably tiger or wolf. In Bulgar, it was ver. Fourth, was rabbit. In Bulgar, devanch. Fifth, uncertain, probably dragon, in Bulgar, Vareni. Sixth was a snake, in Bulgar, Dilom. Seventh, horse, in Bulgar, Imen, or Shegor. Eighth was ram, in Bulgar, Teku, or Chitem. Ninth, unattested, probably monkey. Ten, hen or rooster, in Bulgar was Toh. The eleventh was dog. In Bulgar, it was F. Twelfth was boar. In Bulgar, it was dos. Apologize for the 
pronunciation. <laughs> well, let's see. I apologize for not doing a very good job of pronunciation of vulgar words. If this calendar system sounds familiar, it's because it's the same calendar used in China, which suggests the Bulgars either adopted it directly from the Chinese or they borrowed it from another tribe that was in contact with the Chinese, most likely a Turkic tribe. As for the Bulgarian religion, there are very good reasons to believe they did not have a unified religion. As the Bulgarians were made up of many different tribes, united under one great Khan, it is likely that some Bulgars worshipped Tengri, the Turkic sky god of the Eurasian steppe. There are others who probably worshipped the Slavic gods, and some who were already a form of Christian. When I say Christian, I do not mean followers of the Greek Orthodox Church, but believers in Jesus Christ. There is a very interesting documentary on YouTube that suggests the Bulgarians had their own form of bishopric, operating within their society that had no connection with the Roman or Greek churches. There are structures dating back to the first Bulgarian Empire that resemble Sassanid Zoroastrian temples, and some people believe they worshipped Ahura Mazda. This would make sense if they originated in Belhara, north of Iran. Needless to say, the Bulgarians were exposed to Zoroastrians, Tengri, and Christianity for centuries before forming their state under Khan Aspera. After the death of the Roman Emperor Constantine IV, the new emperor sent his army to take back the lands lost to the Bulgars. You see, the Bulgars didn't just take the lands surrounding the Danube, they also took most of Macedonia and mainland Greece. So the Bulgars had a lot of fighting to do on all sides of their borders. Well, that's it for today. Join us next time on the History of Modern Greece. Stay safe and stay awesome.